Good morning, Sterling. Um, my name is Sean. Uh, Sean Clemens, I'm one of the campus ministers here, and it's my privilege um, this morning to be able to share the word with you. Um, before we do that, I think it's, we should pray for our site pastor and our leaders as they are headed off to um, the World Conference for Every Nation. We're part of a, a larger group called Every Nation, um, and we have a World Conference. Every Nation plants churches all around this planet, um, and they're convening on Cape Town in South Africa. So if we can, for a moment, let's just pray for them. Um, Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the leadership that you have given to us from our senior pastor down to our site pastor and everybody else, Lord God, who is headed um, to Cape Town. We ask, Lord God, that you will um, help them to hear clearly from you, um, that they will have a deposit given to them so that as they come back, um, we will be greatly blessed because of it. More than anything, we ask that your name be glorified and that you will strengthen your relationship with all of our leaders. We give you honor and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, what I'm hoping to um, speak to you guys about and make clear um, is that our God is sovereign. Um, we're going to take a little break from the series with partnering with grace. But um, in that idea, I think that it's important for us to begin to grasp how great our God is considering the world that we live in. I mean, there's a lot of different things that seem to go on that are outside of our control, whether it's you're looking at the news and you're seeing terrorist attacks over abroad or right here locally um, in our country, I should say, um, whether it's um, social injustice, whether it's the political atmosphere. Um, there are so many different things. Not to speak the least of those situations that you face, maybe in your job, maybe it's with a neighbor, maybe it's with your own personal finance, some of us parents, maybe it's with your children. There's so many different things. There's so many different circumstances that if we don't remember the greatness of our God, it will have us react in such a way that I don't believe honors him most. And so what I would like for us to do today is look at Acts chapter 26. Um, we're going to look at um, verses 22 and 23. Um, here um, we find Paul standing before um, some of the Roman leadership and the governor Festus and King Agrippa. And as he's concluding his um, defense of himself, he says in verse 22, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Heavenly Father, please help us to study this scripture. I ask that you will remove me, use me as a tool to get your message across. They don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from you. Help our hearts to receive what you would have for us to learn. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So in understanding or kind of getting a grasp of what's going on here, I kind of alluded to it a little bit. Paul, who was uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, had gone back to Jerusalem after going through some various uh, missionary trips. He had gone back to Jerusalem and in sharing the word, sure enough, those Jews that didn't want to hear the message of Christ wanted him arrested. Not just arrested, they wanted him to be killed. And so he finds himself in jail. Here, um, the governor Festus was, was going to send Paul back to Jerusalem because he wanted to kind of get in good with the, with the Jews there. 
Paul understanding that they were going to kill him, he says, no, no, no. I'm a Roman citizen. I want to go talk to Caesar. And so Festus says, all right, if you're a Roman citizen, it is what it is. We will allow you to to, um, be sent to Caesar. While he has Paul kind of waiting in jail locally, King Agrippa comes onto the scene. And Festus, the governor, decides, you know what, let me um, explain this situation to King Agrippa because I don't really know what I should do to send Paul to Caesar. I mean, with regards to I don't know how to send him. What is the charge against him? I'm not really into this religious thing. I really could care less about their arguments on whether or not, you know, the, 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 the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament is accurately being portrayed by Paul or, or with, the, with the Pharisees and, and some of the Jewish leaders, what they hold to, that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. I don't really care about that was Festus' attitude. But because he's appealed to Caesar, I need to send him. So he talks with King Agrippa and he says, I need you to help me out with this situation. There's this fella, his name is Paul. This is what's going on. So King Agrippa in all of his wisdom and might and power, he says, you know, bring the guy to me, I'll, I'll be willing to listen to him. And so what you find in chapter 24, excuse me, chapter 26, you find that King Agrippa who's come in, making sure everybody knows that he's royalty, his military tribune is there, great pomp and circumstances there, they bring in the prisoner handcuffed, and it's Paul. And Paul stands before King Agrippa and he says, man, I'm glad that you're here. I'm so excited about this opportunity to give my defense Because I know you know about Jewish traditions and Jewish laws. King Agrippa having a a pass with um, Jerusalem itself and and understanding some of the inner workings of the religion. And so what we find here is Paul giving not a defense. He didn't do a nuanced kind of defense of himself. You know, according to Roman law, I should be able to do this. And I didn't violate the Jewish laws because I'm circumcised and and I didn't do this. I washed my hands ritually and did things like that. He doesn't seem to do that. What we find is he gives his testimony. And we're coming to the conclusion of his testimony here in verse 22. And the purpose of me explaining all of that is because I want you to understand everything that's going on around him. The position that he finds himself in. How out of control from the outside looking in he must really be. He has no power to make anybody do anything other than to cry and lean upon the law of the land. And we're not talking about these are angels. Festus and Agrippa aren't necessarily um, people that we would look to, to to always follow the letter of the law. So what was it that gave him confidence to say, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God? Paul understood his position. He understood where he was. He understood why the Jews were unable to kill him, and it was because God is sovereign. Earlier in the book of Acts, we find when Paul was in Aragopagus, and he's, he's talking to the philosophical leaders there, and he finds, uh, I like to call it the tomb of the unknown gods because it has so many idols. But he used that as a chance, the shrine to an unknown god, to explain who, the, who our heavenly father is. And one of his descriptions in Acts 17, 28, he says, we live, move, and have our being in him. Paul thoroughly understood nothing happens unless God allows it to happen. 
The creator of the heavens, creator of the universe is not so busy with other things that he allows situations to arise in his life that he did not allow to be there. And so when Paul, as opposed to saying those crooked Jews have me here, I'm, a, I'm here in front of you, King Agrippa, on trumped up charges. I didn't do anything wrong. He says, because my God has helped me, I stand here before you. He rested in the sovereignty of God. He rested in the fact that my God is more powerful than you, Agrippa. There is nothing that Caesar can do to me unless my God allows me to. And so we find here a man who is actually living out this idea. Far too often we hear language about who God is, but it's not necessarily um, working itself out in the way that we live. And so I thought what God has showed me here was so amazing that we see a man actually living and resting on the sovereignty of God, believing that he was there for a purpose, that it didn't shake his mission and why he was there and the purpose that God had given to him, even though he was out of control. He was out of the control of what he could do. He wasn't free to move about as he wished. He wasn't in front of King Agrippa because he had a special party with him. He came out as a prisoner in chains. And so as he says to this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great. Paul understood his mission, which is what I will get into. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. He, he understood what his mission was. And it didn't matter who his audience was. He was about his father's business because he understood that God was fully in control. And so the first thing that I would like to kind of put before you is, are you recognizing the sovereignty of God in your life? Are you recognizing that? Are you in a situation? My, my wife, I hope you um, forgive me, but she's in a situation at her job where, where her boss seems to, for whatever reason, is coming down on her in an <laughs> unrighteous manner. She, if, if we're not careful, we don't recognize that God is actually in control of who our bosses are or what the situation is. Maybe the disease that has come upon us, whatever that bad thing that seems to, to, to kind of take our shift off the greatness of God and to put it, our focus solely on whatever the problem or situation is. Are you recognizing the sovereignty of God? That despite what the circumstances may feel like, that there is one that's more in control. Paul rested in that. Paul had confidence that what God told him that he would go to Rome was going to happen. So he didn't fear. He didn't buckle. He didn't complain. He didn't fight against. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't feel uncomfortable. Don't hear that. He was a human just like us. He was a man just like us. I'm sure those prisons weren't set up like, the, like a local Holiday Inn or something like that or it wasn't where you wanted to be. But he could find his security in the fact that God was the one who was supreme over everything. Sovereignty, if you're not aware, it simply means, in my own language, the absolute power and authority to do as one pleases. And I recognize that this doesn't answer the why sometimes. But it can give you the confidence that God is still in control when it doesn't feel like he is. When it doesn't appear that he is. 
He is in full control of the situation. Nothing is happening outside of his decision to allow it to happen. And so Paul, recognizing this great sovereignty, was able to continue on and say, I stand here before you great and the small. If you're in the room, I'm here because God wanted me to be here. And I'm going to share what God has put on my heart to share. Do you see your mission that way at your job? Do you see it that way when, when, you, when you're, on a, you're at your kid's football or, or soccer team at, at the game and the other parents? Do you, do you see an opportunity to further the mission of God there? Do you see the opportunity that God has given you to grow and become more and more like him by putting the pressure on you to, 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 to test your faith in any given moment? Or do you focus on the problem and make it bigger than God? You know, when I was a child, I had, had you, you know, I always thought it was cool. You know, you could have a car go by, but if you put your finger close enough to your eye and the car go by, ooh, I'm crushing it, I'm crushing it, I'm crushing it. <laughs> or maybe I'll take a penny and I'll put it before my eyes and say, man, this penny is bigger than the sun. When we focus so much on our problems, we lose sight of how great our God really is. Paul doesn't do that. Paul understands who he is a servant of, who he is a bond slave of. He understands that. So despite the situation, despite how uncomfortable it was, he understood we live, move, and have our being in God. So how do you develop this biblical perspective? Because I don't believe that Paul always walked around with this. He wasn't born with this. This wasn't just um, some way of thinking. In fact, Paul... Before his name, he went by the name Paul. He was actually Saul, a Pharisee. And last week, I'm, I'm sure we remember the message where we understood by, that by grace, he had become something other. But he did persecute the church. And I believe one of the things that had to have happened for Paul, as he had his experience, as he explains to Agrippa that he had an experience on Damascus Road as he was going to serve papers to Christians, that Jesus appeared to him blinded him, knocked him off his horse, and spoke to him. Had one of his, Jesus had one of his disciples, Ananias, to come and pray for him. Scales, something like scales fell off his eyes. What I'm thoroughly convinced of is that from that moment on, Paul, not resting on this idea that as a Pharisee, I already know what the Old Testament says, he began to go back and investigate what Scripture said. I believe that because if we, as we continue to read on, and he says in verse 22, kind of at the end, so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. As he is preaching Christ to King Agrippa and to Festus and all those that are there, he based it on what the prophets had to say and what Moses had to say. But we do understand, as you've I'm sure as you've seen different stories that the Pharisees didn't particularly believe Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't see that in Scripture. They would try to compare him and say, are you greater than Abraham? Are you, are, are you like Moses? Because I don't think so, brother. You're a little too young. So they dismissed all of the miracles. And they held on to traditions of men. That came through their study of scripture. When we want to develop this perspective that our God is sovereign. 
that, that it's a thread that we can rest in. Though you may not feel comfortable if a disease comes and, and it hits your family. Maybe tragedy struck and, and, and for some, something happened at the business. Many of you were here in the D.C. area when 9-11 took place. When we feel like things are totally out of control, there's something that we as believers, those of us who can call on Christ as Lord and Savior, should be able to rest in. And this perspective isn't just given because you hear someone preach it or because you've come up with this ideal of it in your head. It has to be something that penetrates your heart. And that comes, as Pastor Brett, our senior pastor loves to say, is comes by reading our Bible how often? Every day. It's a perspective that came as he studied Scripture. But it wasn't just a, 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 a reading that did not have um, any help. It was a reading that came as he engaged the Holy Spirit in his study time. We find um, in the Gospels that after Jesus had rose from the dead, I believe it's in the book of John, where we find that Jesus, he meets two guys on the road who are heading back and they're kind of disappointed because they thought Jesus was the Messiah, but he had died. And Jesus, uh, hiding, kind of cloaking, cloaking who he was, he's discussing with these, these men. And he says to them, man, the scriptures pointed to who the Messiah was. They, they pointed to me that these scriptures spoke of me. And he had to open it up to them so that they could see that Jesus was who he said he was. And the same as for, with Paul, he had to have developed a biblical perspective. Because as a Pharisee, it wouldn't have been there. The Pharisees would have held on to the idea that, that um, kind of, as I said earlier, that Moses was the great prophet. That he was the one that we could grab hold to and, and have our identity in. Even in the church itself, there was, there was a battle on whether or not the Gentiles even deserved to hear the gospel. Because such a nationalistic, man-centered view of how they read scripture informed the way that they thought about God. How about you? How about you? Are you going into scripture looking to see how God loves you? Making scripture about yourself? Are you pulling out those stories and man, God, you know, in, in 1 Samuel 17 and David standing up against Goliath. God is making me like David so that I'm courageous and will go out and slay the dragon of life or slay the giant in life. Or do you see a God do you see a God who took a young man, probably in his teenage years, and gave him the ability to slay a veteran in war who towered over him? Do you see it as a foreshadowing of our great hero, Jesus, who had to slay the giant of sin? And we were more like the army cowering because we couldn't defeat sin on our own. Do you see the greatness of your God when you're reading scripture and how he took down an empire in Egypt? Or do, you, do, or do we look at the story of Moses as Disney would have us to put our focus on? Do, 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 we, do we put our focus on the man and, and believe that, man, he must have been such a special God? Or do we see that God could take a murderer and top a whole empire, the world's only superpower at that time. 
Do we see the greatness of our Heavenly Father? Do we see the sovereignty of our God who, who was able to work in a situation with Joseph that though his brothers threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery, Potiphar's wife lying on him about sexually abusing her, thrown into prison, that God could take that, make him prime minister, and Joseph, who understood this fact, could stand before his brothers and say, man, this was God's intent. He looked to save us. When life is throwing curveballs at us, if we're not careful in our study time to see that the Bible is more about God than ourselves, we do not have the materials that faith or that hope is built on. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In Hebrews 11, it says that, that, that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our hope is built on the faith that God imputes to us as we study his word. And we study his word in conjunction with him. That is not just a moment to go in and say, hey, I got my five minutes in today. But that it's going in with the idea that God is going to communicate with me. And thus it's going to build my faith up. And I will begin to see this God who is much greater than any and every situation that's presented, presented before me. This passage is clearly, in my opinion, speaking to that fact for Paul. That the weight of the, the Roman Empire's power that they had invested in Agrippa and that they had invested in Festus did not stop him from sharing his faith. Agrippa, later on in the same um, chapter, he says, would you have me to become a Christian? Recognizing that Paul was testifying and trying to convert each and every person in the building. When, when you have a deep-seated notion of the sovereignty of God, you can go to work and you can endure the trials and tribulations that are coming. And you can put your focus on God and say, you, you put me here. Why did you put me here? Let me find the mission that you have for me. My beautiful wife has the opportunity at her job, though things are rough and, 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 and it seems seemingly that the heat is being turned up on her, those that she's over in management, she's able to still pour into and try to help them understand what's going on, encouraging them to be great. With the other believers, she's able to even share certain truths that God has shown her to help strengthen and build um, one of her um, employees up. Despite the circumstances, despite the, the, the fire that she seems to be under. I speak so highly of her because I love her. She's an amazing woman. She's an inspiration to me. But she understands that there is a God who is in control of everything. And despite the rhetoric of men, despite the rhetoric of men in high position, think of, 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 of um, Nicodemus. Not Nicodemus. Um, man, I just lost his name. Uh, the king of Babylon. We'll say it that way. Huh? Nebuchadnezzar. Thank you. Um, he, he stands up and God had already warned him and he proclaims, look at my great kingdom. But God breaks him down, grows his nails out. He's eating grass because God wanted him to understand God is the one who puts men in position. Do you believe that? Is your faith built up in that? 
Because in your in developing this biblical perspective, you have to see that God was in control of each and every situation that the people of God encountered. That there was never a time when God could not stop something from happening or that he couldn't make something happen. That it was God. And I know at times that can be a little unnerving because you, we all want to know why did it have to happen. And I can't answer that. God has infinite wisdom. I have very small wisdom. So I can't explain the infinite. But what I can do is tell you, you can have confidence in the God that we serve, that he is still in control. God is sovereign. So it's incumbent upon us to partner with the Holy Spirit in reading the Bible every day and doing our five for five that we find ourselves developing a biblical perspective of him being sovereign. And his sovereignty, which is one of his greatest, which is an attribute that really helps us to understand a lot of how the working of his other attributes work, uh, 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 are, are, are drawn out. We see him acting in love. We see his righteousness in, in the fact that he passed over sins in the past. He passed over the idea that David, sleeping with Bathsheba, had her husband killed. But somehow David was still a man after his own heart. Still somebody, an example that we look to and we read about. God didn't sweep that sin under the rug. Because he cares about his righteousness. And so in his sovereign decision making, he sent his only begotten son to die for us, to show his righteousness, to cover those sins, to cover our sins from the past, our sins that we presently walk in and those in the future. So that God isn't some type of judge who looks at sin and he says, you know what, Ryan, you're such a good guy. Don't worry about it. Letting him go free of some of the, the, the worst atrocities. Because essentially that's what it is when we, when we violate um, God's law. There's nothing worse than that. Our sin against a God who created us, who only loved us. Our thumbing our nose at him. Our, our degrading him to be underneath our own authority somehow. There's nothing worse than that. And so for a judge, I mean think about it in human terms. What kind of crime would we be okay with? Or, excuse me, what kind of judge would we be okay with if he somehow just said, you know, you robbed a bank. And so, because you're a good person, I'm just going to let it go. Or maybe they committed murder. How does the owner of that property feel? How does the parent of the one murdered feel when the judge just lets him go? And so God, in his infinite wisdom, defending his his. The fact that he is righteous in his sovereign power, he sent his son to die for us, to take on that punishment. Um, Elder earlier helped us to understand so clearly why we had to take communion, why we do the things that we do in remembrance of what Jesus did. And it was because God is sovereign in his power. So it was incumbent upon us to develop this biblical perspective that will allow us to be confident in each and every situation. And there's a difference between confidence and comfortable. I don't, I don't want to mix those two up because it can very well, a lot of times it is uncomfortable. But we can be confident that our God, if we have a big view of him, is sovereign and he is in full control, having absolute power and authority to do as he pleases. 
Paul didn't just rest in what he understood from Scripture. I believe he allowed the example of Jesus to inform how he did his mission in life. And so observing, observing the example of Christ allowed him to stay on mission in that situation. A couple of examples of how Jesus kind of walked this out. John chapter 5 verse 19, Jesus says, um, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. There was a, a rigid commitment by Jesus to only do what he saw the father doing and say what the father saying. And so as he walked that out, he understood each and every situation that God allowed him to walk into. God the father allowed him to walk into. It was because the father allowed him to walk into those situations. And so we see <clears throat> later on as he's standing, <clears throat> excuse me, um, as he's standing before Pilate, Jesus says to Pilate, after Pilate kind of boasting that I have the power to kill you, won't you answer me? He says to him, you will not speak to me. Excuse me, Pilate says to Jesus, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus rested in the sovereignty of God and understood he didn't have to fight for himself. He didn't have to call on angels to come and defend him. He didn't need Peter to come cut people's ears off. He understood this is only happening because my father has allowed it to happen. So he could rest and he could be calm and he could put his focus on what his mission was. His mission was to come and die for wretched sinners like us. To live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we should have died. He understood that was his mission. Early on, he understood that. And so we see as you studied the life of Jesus that there would be crowds coming to stone him or to throw him off a cliff and he would just walk right through the crowd. You can't touch me unless my father allows you to touch me. He didn't complain about his discomfort because he was on mission. And Paul, having met Jesus on the Damascus road, his life was totally transformed. And as he studied and as he got to know and as he developed his biblical perspective of how great our God was, and as he says in our, our um, passage in Acts 26, that he was going, um, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. This is what he understood that the Pharisees never were able to come to for those who did not come to Christ. That the Christ must suffer. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul recognized Christ as the Messiah that was promised even by Moses. And he said... He set Jesus as the one that he would become the disciple of. And as we should, a disciple wants to be like the discipler. Take your cues or the disciple, the disciple Lee takes his cues or her cues from the discipler. That's how you do life. That's how I'll do life. 
And so Jesus being willing to go to the cross and die for us, Paul was able to come to the conclusion that I must be willing to die for, for God first and for my brother second. Thus trying to his best to honor the greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Here, Paul in Philippians um, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 kind of expresses, summarizes this same mindset in saying, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul leveraged his life. He leveraged everything he had in ways to get the gospel to the Gentiles, in ways of getting the gospel out to those that were in, happened to be in the room with him. That was the mission that he understood. How about you? Are you seeing Jesus' life as an example for you to follow? That the rooms, the doors that he opens up for you are opportunities for you to go and put God on display. And I, I want to be careful because I don't want you to get this idea that your jobs are now pulpits where you go in, not do your work, and you stand up on a desk or something and you bang the Bible for people to understand who Christ is. That's not what I'm trying to communicate to you. Even Paul made sure that he observed the right um, language towards leadership and honoring Festus and honoring King Agrippa. You too got to honor your boss. Want to honor why you're there. What are they paying you for? But are you attuning your ear and you're saying, Father, I only want to say what you want me to say. And I want to do what you want me to do, what you do. Are you fixing yourself to that? Are you availing yourself to be used like that? Because that's what Jesus did. And Paul learned that from Jesus. And so that's what he did. Once again, Paul was not some superman. Though he did super acts. Though his life is one that we can look at and admire. But God took a man. And as we learned last week that the becoming was through the grace of God. That transformative power to be made more and more like Jesus. It was the grace of God that allowed him to become who he was. Likewise for you, as you're studying, as you're capturing who Jesus is, that same grace is available to you to become more and more like Christ. And God in his sovereign power will continue to move the pieces in place that will help you become more and more like that, to put his light on display as Paul said in, in, in verse 23 of Acts 26, that, that Christ uh, must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to, to our people and to the Gentiles. We weren't just saved and that's it. God's intent was that we would be a light for the world to see. That there would be some distinguishing marks. And so as I'm trying to close this thing out and not keep you here all day, my question is, is your God big enough? Is your God big enough? Have you, like Moses did when he saw the burning bush, we were, it's pretty funny if you look in Genesis chapter 4, um, Moses, he sees the burning bush, he's talking to God. God tells him to throw his staff down, it turns into a snake, he picks it back up, it becomes a staff again. He puts his hand in his cloak, he pulls it out, he has leprosy, he puts it back in, he pulls it out, and then it's back to normal. Water, turn to blood. 
God says, all right, now, I want you to go back to Egypt and talk to your people. Whoa, 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 God. Don't send me out there. I can't talk. I don't talk well. Please, Lord, don't do that. And the thing that it was with our campus ministry staff, we were kind of marveling at this idea that I mean, you could see a demonstration of the power of God and still keep him in such a small box that you're afraid of people. Yes. Moses, one of the greatest leaders. Is your God big enough? Is your God big enough to help you through the daily troubles that you're going through? Do you feel like you have to defend yourself? Or do you look for opportunities to carry out the mission that God has sent you into that situation for? My hope and prayer is that we will begin to recognize nothing is happening unless God is allowing it to happen. And though we don't fully understand it, we have hope and trust and confidence that God's plans will not be thwarted. They will not be stopped in any kind of way. And I am an agent sent here to advance the kingdom. As we get ready to close, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. Everyone here um, may not have the relationship that I talk about with Christ. You may have an idea of what Christianity is about and think, man, if I just live right, God will accept me. And so kind of like a, a, a father on Christmas, just putting a gift together, you don't use the instructions. You don't read the instructions. You just try to use that picture, that mental picture of walking out Christianity. But the reality is that there was one who came and died for us. I've been talking about him all day. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall enter in the Father but by him. If you haven't had the privilege of accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity now. So I ask that you will raise your hand if you would like to accept Christ today. There's no better time than now to accept him as king of kings and begin to walk in the comfort of knowing that your heavenly father is sovereign over all and that there is no situation that he doesn't have power over. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word that you have given to us. I ask, Lord God, that you will help expand our view of you. We have such a small view of you that we try to understand you, but you're beyond our ability to understand. You are greater than us. Lord God, I pray that you will help us to be humble, to receive this word of yours, that you are sovereign over all things, and that you would teach us to rest in it, to trust that though times can get tough, trials may come. It's not happening because you're not aware or that you're not strong enough to stop it. We love you, Daddy, and we give you all the honor and praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.